This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and if you're new here, thanks so much for joining. If you've been here for a while, thanks for coming back. Today's episode is with mystery and thriller author Leah Conan. We talk about her new book, You Should Have Told Me, which is a really, really delightful mystery that very much keeps you guessing chapter after chapter. But before we get into her book, we talk about her love of online gaming and specifically World of Warcraft and how it helped uh, her husband and her bond while they had a new baby during the pandemic. And uh, we talk about my own past life uh, with the old World of Warcraft and uh, specifically Warcraft games when they first came out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, We get to nerd out for a little while. We also get into the... Art and structure of creating a thriller and like a murder mystery. Uh, I really love the conversation that you'll hear in just a little bit where we get into this notion that people have to come up with a twist that no one sees coming. When in reality, if you are enjoying a book and you see the twist coming, that that doesn't make it a bad book. That still is something only you know, people wear up a badge of honor when they're able to see a twist coming. So it's really interesting. We get we get into a, a bunch of different things. It's a very wide-ranging conversation, and, and Leah was a blast to chat with. Uh, before we get to that, I want to offer you a book recommendation. Uh, I This is a little bit older, and it, it was a bestseller all over the place, and it's very short, but I just read it for the first time a couple weeks ago. A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. It is such a strange little story. It is this monk who hands out tea and people get to kind of share their thoughts and troubles with them during the cup of tea that they're enjoying. And then they kind of go on their their day. It's almost like enjoying therapy. But it also tells the story of how this monk is a bit unhappy or unfulfilled with their life. And so they go out into the wild and this story takes place after this massive change in the world where robots became sentient and then humans basically like enabled them to go and live off on their own. And so these robots live in the wild and they are not approached by humans unless the robots want to and then they've never wanted to until this monk ends up meeting a robot while he's 
basically going off on an adventure. And then what ends up happening is this really delightful short story of this monk and this robot getting to know each other and understand each other's, um, you know, societies basically, and asking tough, big questions that we all ask. It's really adorable. It's really fantastic. Um, yeah, I just really, really loved it. So I think you're going to enjoy that very much. If you happen to miss it over the weekend, I did a bonus episode of Backlist Book Recommendations with Tina from TBR, etc. and the Book Talk, etc. podcast. I know a lot of you may have listened to this podcast uh, for the first time because of that. So if you're new here, again, thanks for, for being here. But if you did miss that, go check it out. We gave over a dozen backlist book recommendations that we really had a lot of fun uh, handing out. So I think you'll really enjoy that. And if you are new here, I have an email address, passionsandprologues at gmail.com. You can send me your passions, anything you're passionate about. Just let me know. And every single month I hand out a random bookshop.org gift card just to somebody who sent me one of those emails. I really love reading them. And then also, if you leave me a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast, just go ahead and screenshot that and send it to my email. Again, passionsandprologues at gmail.com. And I'll give you some customized book recommendations. And last but not least, you can find me at Passions and Prologues on TikTok and Instagram, where I talk about books all the time. Okay, that is all the housekeeping. I am so excited for you to listen to this discussion with Leah Conan, author of You Should Have Told Me on Passions and Prologues. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Leah, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining me. And what is the thing you're super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? So I am really passionate about kind of gaming, whether it's board games or, you know, video games. I think I'm not like a crazy gamer, like the most seasoned person, but especially over the last few years i've gotten really big into world of warcraft okay yeah um, <clears throat> so they re-released the classic version um a few years ago and i actually never played it when it originally came out but my husband was super into it and so we kind of became it aligned right with when i was pregnant with my daughter and in an early parenthood and it kind of became like our release for like all that stress uh so it was a huge part of our early days and um have actually just got back into it this uh, winter. At the risk of like 
revealing my age, although I've done that a bunch of times in this podcast. I actually did play the original one, and you sang <laughs> World of Warcraft. I specifically remember uh, my best friend growing up, his name was Kurt. I like can not only can I remember sitting in their den playing the original Warcraft and like World of Warcraft and doing like all the different campaigns and everything, but like I can remember like these specific phrases and stuff that like the different like the yes me lord like there was all these yeah, different... yeah the different npcs say so, yeah i i know yeah you get, uh, it gets really stuck in your head yeah <laughs> so i'm assuming i have an idea as to why but what got you guys into it over the last couple of years i'm assuming it might be having time on your hands with the pandemic but how did you yeah kind of... i mean the pandemic really pushed it i think it started before the pandemic it was kind of like we were waiting Oh yeah, we were waiting for the baby to come and I was like past my due date, but we like both kind of like paused our work and we're kind of just waiting. So we had like nothing to do. So we were just like playing WoW and like watching Jeopardy. And um and then it actually turned it was funny. It actually turned out to be like a really like fun pandemic thing but also to have with like a young baby because they do actually sleep a lot and then even when they're like awake, they're kind of just like hanging out um you know like in one spot Mm -hmm. so and then both of us would play it so we kind of like we'd be like in a raid and my husband would like tell like the group that like I had to just pop out for 10 minutes to like go feed my daughter (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah it actually and it was a perfect pandemic thing because it felt like the people in our guild were like the only people we interacted with during the Mm -hmm. pandemic so it would kind of feel like you were part of these weird like little parties um so yeah it was kind of the ultimate like remote social distancing thing thing you could do yeah it's i mean it's this i feel like it's the same reason why like so many so many of us got into like the jackbox games all these things it was like yeah a way to feel like you were connected to people without obviously being in person so with there being like a million different options what was it about world of warcraft that that was kind of the the thing that you both chose to fall into so my husband had been really into it and he had like all the nostalgia for it and i had a complete i remember i was certainly old enough to have played it when it came out but i remember just from hearing about it like world of warcraft i thought it was going to be something completely different than it was and so when I actually like jumped in and started playing, I was like, oh, wow, it's just like Lord of the Rings, but I can like run around and control it. This is incredible. Um, so I just, I think, I think what I loved about it is there's like enough storytelling. Um, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of fun dialogue. There's a lot of fun like backstories, but then there's just so many options and choices that you can make. And it's also so many different kind of paths you can take. Like I got really into making potions and uh, harvesting herbs and then like selling them for like this huge, like um, cost, like on the mm-hmm. auction house. Like I was, I was like the herb and potion, like pure capitalist, like opposite of how I am in real life. I was like, let me take all the money here. Um, so it was just kind of like, it was fun that it's like a little microcosm of society. Mm-hmm. I, you mentioning like how, how you chose to play. So that's always so interesting to me where when it is a game like World of Warcraft or like these big open world games that you can choose, like Elder Scrolls, there's different things that you can choose to be any type of character you want to be. It is really interesting what people choose. And so like what what was it about 
<laughs> leading you down that path. Like you said, you found a lot of interest in like the herb collecting and all these different things. What was it about that path that intrigued you? So I think one of the reasons why I was kind of a late to life gamer is I never like like shooting or like fighting games. Like the Elder Scrolls, I actually like the world, but especially like Skyrim, the the combat was like too intense where I would just get nervous and like mm-hmm. drop the controller and I'm like, I can't. So what I loved about um, WoW was like, there were so many parts of the game where you didn't have to be like actively fighting. And then you could choose to like go into fighting mode if you were doing, you know, a raid or a battleground or whatever. But I liked that there were so many parts of the world where you were just kind of like being a character and interacting with people. And, you know, I thought that part of it was just really fun. Yeah. I, I feel like exactly what you said about like the, the fighting. I, I, for a while I got very into, um, the new Zelda game. Well, I guess not that new at this point, but like the same reason yeah. like, I could just get lost and like, I could spend an hour and a half, like riding a horse around a beautiful, like, you know, green pasture or just like climbing the tallest place I could find without ever like encountering any, any enemies. I, I know exactly what you mean. Like I am always, I'm the type of person I've been, I, I don't game anymore, but I have always been like somewhat fascinated by the gaming world and like since i was a kid and what i tend to be just like blown away by is just being like oh my god somebody like people put this together like they they built this world that we can now live in and like it's not it's you know it's very similar like writing books it's just like the fact that they obviously it's a team of people but like they're that they're able to constantly come up with these these quests and these raids and like just these new areas to me i'm always fascinated by that type of stuff and I, well, I think that's to me what's been so interesting is like growing up in the like 80s and 90s, I thought the gaming was just like, you know, Nintendo and like, you know, having seeing Mario and Luigi jump around. And then to see that like, like now it's such incredible both visual art and storytelling. And I mean, there's some games that are like, they go crazy with storytelling. Um, and I think with so many independent games too, like I actually do get inspired with my writing by some of the gaming I do and, you know, vice versa. It's like, there's truly like, I really think that it's, it is an art form just like anything else. And people who maybe haven't like experienced it or gone, gone into some of these newer games, maybe don't realize or kind of judge it like, Oh, it's just video games, but they've come a long way. I mean, there's some Mm -hmm. really incredible stuff out there. Yeah. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit of how like you've been inspired uh, from like a, a storytelling standpoint? Cause like the, the one that I think that sticks out the most to me, again, I, I haven't played a, a ton of games lately, but I did play uh, Hades like all the way through. I don't know if you're familiar, okay. but that is one where it is like, obviously it's all of the like Greek mythology and like just the storytelling in there. There's so much like the, there was something like the, the script for this, for the, game was like 1.2 million words like just an insane wow. amount of words. yeah but can can you touch on what you were saying a little bit about like how you've been inspired from a storytelling standpoint from from games and how it kind of connects to writing sure well if i can go full 80s baby for a moment yeah. i'll say i was always also really into the choose your own adventure books if Absolutely. you remember those oh yeah so I think there's something so interesting about feeling like you're reading a story, but that you do have some sort of control. And I mean, perhaps like if we're going to get <laughs> all psychoanalytical about it, perhaps that's what could have led me to writing and storytelling because it's like, you, you know, you have the story, but you're kind of pulling the strings there. But um, 
I really think really good games uh, kind of create that feeling again of a cho- of a really good choose your own adventure and kind of that magic of being a kid and feeling like you had a little bit of power over the story. Um, but there's so many more choices now, you know, in a game mm-hmm. than, than there are in like a tiny little chapter book. So I think it's kind of just, I think with every book, even though a reader doesn't have a choice, I think you want to ideally create a world that is as compelling as something like you would find in like the best video game, right? Except for that world is of course in your head. And so I think there are a lot of parallels there. And, um, and it's, it's just the kind of thing where it's like compelling stories, no matter what the medium Mm -hmm. really hook people. And it doesn't matter if it's a movie or a TV show or a book or a video game, but like, that's what people want. People want a story that just like sweeps them away and takes them into this world. So do you find, because your, your newest book, you should have told me like it is set in a, like a real, like (laughs) the real, the real world. Um, Do you find yourself drawn to, because I, from when it comes to books that I read, I tend to be character and plot driven as opposed to like, uh, like, atmosphere or uh-huh. setting but if i were to choose a game to play like i will probably find myself be like oh what's the atmosphere like like give me this huge open world so for you are you drawn to books that tend to be more like that huge sprawling type of a story or do you focus on like the the story itself losing helping you lose yourself as opposed to the setting i think personally i think the story itself as opposed to the setting I mean, I always think settings are important. I think even in a more intimate, realistic setting, you still do get that whole world. I think, especially like with You Should Have Told Me, like the setting is Kingston, New York. It's like a mountain town between like the Hudson River and the Catskill Mountains, right north of New York City. But really the setting is like living as a mother who has a six-week-old infant and like that to me is like kind of being in Janie's head for that as things are unraveling and her partner is going missing and all these things are happening. To me, that is a world, like that's a whole world. Um, And it's a world that it's actually like, yeah, it's not fantasy, but like until you experience it, like there's no, you know, everyone will be like, oh yeah, baby can be hard or whatever, but until you are actually living it, there's no way to prepare yourself for Mm -hmm. it. So I think in ways books do kind of like open us up to these worlds, even if they aren't fantasy or some kind of, you know, fantastical like Dune, you know, kind of place. Like they still are opening us up into the worlds of someone of a certain character's head. And I, to me, that's what's like so fascinating. Yeah. And and so I, I we, we should say for, for people who haven't read, you should have told me yet the like the kind of crux and like launching point of the plot. I don't want to give too, too much away, but Jane's the main character just had a baby that needs a break kind of lies down her partner is like i'll you know take care of the babies like just relax and when she wakes up her partner is gone and um then there's some unsavory things that happen that he gets accused of it again i don't want to give too too much away but um with that like that type of story and you you having a a newborn you were mentioning like spending so much time with your partner playing like different games and stuff like what um what launched this idea in your head and like what made you want to tell this story? Yeah. So, I mean, I wrote the first like 75 pages of the book, probably about, I think when she was about, my daughter was about six months old. 
So I had just like been in it and I had had a lot of very similar feelings that Janie is struggling with that I think are incredibly common. And when I was talking to other mothers, I found that a lot of people were, had experienced almost the exact same thing, but Mm. there's so much shame around it that people wouldn't even talk about it. And people were like DMing me and saying like, I felt this way too. And I didn't even tell my husband because like, it just felt so wrong to be like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I feel connected to my baby, you know, when you're supposed to feel this like very immediate, like love. So I had kind of just been in it. And then, uh, my daughter was born and then it was immediate, like global pandemic. So it was just a really wild isolating time to like raise a newborn. And so it kind of just, for me, it was like based on that, but it was like, what if I turn the volume up to like a hundred? And so to me, like you're already in it. It's already like a thriller. It already feels like a war zone, just like taking care of a child. But then it's like, if the one person who's like your partner there and supposed to be, you know, helping you is just gone. Like how scary, like to me, there was nothing scarier than that idea. Like I remember like, like in the early, early days, like my husband would like go out to like check on his garden for like five minutes. And if it took like six minutes, I'd be like, Oh my God, where is he? You know, like you feel so much like you just need someone else to be there with you kind of like suffering alongside you. And, um, so I really wanted to capture that, but of course I write thrillers. So I wanted to kind of intersect that with like a classic murder mystery. And I think putting the two together, like created a lot of interesting ways to go. Like not only about what actually happened and, and who's the murderer and all that, but like, how well do we know that the people that we love and the people that we think, you know, we can trust with everything. Yeah. Uh, Did writing this feel like, like you said, kind of at least the first like 75 pages and, you know, while you were like literally in it, as you were saying, like, did it, did it feel like a a good escape? Cause I feel like we all need, like when we're in the midst of a highly stressful situation, especially like you said, like in the middle slash beginning of the pandemic, like when there was just nothing, there was no way for us to get out. Like I imagine it had to feel a little bit like an escape to actually get to write these things out in a, in a fictional way that wasn't like harmful to anyone in your life. Totally. Yeah. It was really cathartic. And I mean, I think, I think if like, I couldn't have written it like in those first few months, like it was just too close, but I think at that point, like I had started to feel a lot better. It was the summer, the pandemic was like, you know, everything was still happening, but at least it was summer. So we were able to like, maybe like meet some people outdoors and stuff like that. And, um, and then my daughter also had like, she had just kind of started to like really nap in a reliable way. So I Mm -hmm. felt like I just had like a little bit of space and it really kind of just like poured out. Like I didn't, I didn't come into it thinking like, I want to write a book about motherhood or whatever. I kind of just sat down one day and the first bit just like, it was just there. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Cause then as I continued to like write the book and the more like mystery parts and all that, when I went back to revise like a year later, I would look at those first pages and be like, Whoa, Leah, like, were you okay? <laughs> like, This is a little dark, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And I think, I think actually like, I don't know that I would have been able to write it like, now like Mm -hmm. i think just like it being so fresh and so raw was kind of just like how it came at least for the beginning like how it needed to be yeah i I do think um like a a different situation entirely but like i am querying a novel now and when the 
when I wrote it, I was like very, very down and depressed and like I didn't know how to externally convey those feelings yet. Like I hadn't started going to see a therapist and like how to understand how to use my words, speaking of like babies and children. Um, but it, the only way that I could like have an outlet was to write the story. And like, like you said, I don't think I could write that same story now being weirdly like being in a much better mental place. Yeah. But like, I, but I know what you mean where it's like sometimes the only way to get like to feel less frustrated with what's going on in your mind is to put it out in the world. Well, yeah. I mean, and writing it down, I think helps. And I think it helps you, but it also helps other readers who everyone's been in a place like this at some point, you know? And I think sometimes reading about it through a fictional character is actually, it's a lot easier than even just talking with a friend or, you know, reading about depression or something like on the internet, like Mm -hmm. reading it through a, the, even if it's not real and it is fiction I think just the way it can get so personal to get in someone's head can just be really really helpful and satisfying for people do you find as a a writer of like thrillers and murder mysteries do you find yourself drawn towards those types of books as a reader or do you kind of like go completely left field and stay away from them no I'm like I write thrillers because all I was writing reading was thrillers like this is what I love. And I was actually for a while in my career, I was writing young adult, more like romance, contemporary romance, and which is really fun. But I think the reason why I made the leap is because I looked at what I was actually consuming and it was like thrillers, mysteries, horror. I'm a huge horror movie fan. So mm-hmm. like that was everything I was taking in. And and like I grew up on like Hitchcock and like old noirs and stuff. And so I was just like, why am I not doing this? And I think part of it was just like the fear of being able to like pull off a mystery. Cause it, it is like kind of a different skill set, and it's can be kind of scary to like jump into something you haven't done before. But as soon as I started, I felt like, Oh, this is like what I wanted to be doing. You know, like this is kind of, hitting my stride, like kind of feeling that. Yeah. And I sh- I think I saw you might've said something on Twitter about this and I totally agree with you about like, I know that there's always pressure writing a thriller to like come up with a twist that no one sees coming. But I think you said something about like, so what if you saw it coming? Like the purpose of a story is to enjoy it. And like, yeah, if you still want to like see how it happens. And I feel like that's the same. It is interesting. Cause like, if I guess the plot of a movie, I'm still going to watch it. Like it doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy it any less. And honestly, I'll probably be like, Oh my God, I knew that I saw that coming. And like, I don't want to talk about it even more. And like, I feel like the same is true for reading thrillers. Like if I figure out something beforehand, like that doesn't make me like the book less. That makes me like (laughs) want to talk about the book more. So I feel like once you understand that, like, is it, is it that feeling writing a thriller like I need to come up with something that no one will see coming or I guess like can you kind of walk me through that that aspect because every thriller needs like a twist or a hook that you write in there at some some way or somehow totally so and I I do think my books tend to have like a lot of reveals and twists but um I think for me I think the perfect twist would be like one that four out of five readers are gonna not get and like one out of five is gonna get like that kind of just like because I think you want to you want to have it if it comes completely out of left field 
it might surprise everyone, but it's not satisfying. Mm-hmm. And I think like one of my editors always says, like, he's like, what you want to do is like when the reader gets to it, they want to immediately like page back through the book and be like, oh my God, she, she gave me a hint there and there. And how did I not see it? And like, kind of you put together like all those like Easter eggs and everything. Mm -hmm. So like, I think, I mean, I think also realistically readers are so well-read, so clever, so smart, especially in this genre. So it's like, you're going to have people who get it. And I think that's okay. But I think it's nice to like keep people on their toes as well. Yeah. I I love what you're saying about like the, like it can't come completely out of left field. Like I, I love much like, so many other readers like I love Agatha Christie stories but I feel like there's some of her stories where the end like when Urku Oparo does his big reveal like he'll basically say stuff where you're like none of that was ever in the text like of course yeah. no one saw this coming so so for you're you, like wait I don't remember who that character was yeah exactly so I'm just like wait a minute yes you're right I couldn't have seen this coming but it's also because you didn't introduce that character until page like 280 but yeah. for you when you are like when you're writing a story like you should have told me do you know what the end is going to be? And so you're leaving hints as you go, or do you kind of, as you're drafting, realize the the twists in real time and then have to go back and like drop those, those Easter eggs for your readers after the fact? So I think it's a mix of both. I think with this one, with actually the first two, with all the broken people and the perfect escape, I actually changed killers in the revise. So like, I like fully went in a different direction. This one, I I think I kind of anticipated that that was going to need to happen. So I did it as I was drafting. But I definitely have like, I think the bigger twists are there and the bigger reveals are in my head and they're kind of maybe being hinted towards. But then you definitely discover stuff as you go and you have to go back and layer it in. But I think something interesting that happens regardless if you know ahead of time or you don't is that as an author, you kind of feel like you can put these hints in that you're trying so hard not to be heavy handed that it's just like, you know, it zooms right past everybody. So I think usually what happens is like, like my reader or my editors rather, and my beta readers will be like, oh, it would be great if you seeded this twist, like in act one and act two or whatever. And I'm like, I did though. You just didn't see it because we read so fast and like if an author puts something in that like was literally one line, people can just like zoom right by it. But then on the flip side, if every, you know, if every single other chapter, they talk about their weird neighbor or something like then, you know, you're like, your, your radar is up. So I think it's just like constantly going back and through revisions and finding that balance of like making it clear enough that like, it piques some interest, but not so heavy handed that it's like, oh, this is obviously the answer. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like as the writer, that one line feels so obvious to you, but you're right. Like there's, there's some people who will like, no matter like randomly on a page will like skim half of the paragraph and they just won't even see that line. Like you're absolutely totally. Right. Yeah. That's I was so- just reading a Twitter thread that I had no idea people do this, but I learned that people, a lot of people read audiobooks on like two and three X speed and i had no idea this was a thing i think I'm, I'm a pretty fast reader but i must be a slow listener because i'm like one x is good for me i'm like i need to take it in but it, it just blew my mind that people are able to comprehend stuff that quickly so i 
listen at 1.5 when I'm listening okay. to audiobooks. But I will say I am uh, online friends with Julia Whalen, who's like the you know one of the most famous audiobook narrators around, and she's actually she's been on this podcast, and I've interviewed her a few times, and, and we're like I said we're buddies, and we've talked about this, and she gets so mad that people will speed up their listening <laughs> because she's like I'm reading this in a specific way to put this specific tone, but yeah, I, I couldn't do like two or three X, but I, I will admit, I hope she's not listening to this episode. I will admit <laughs> that I listened to like 1.5 because I feel like there's like most narrators of audiobooks. That's the purpose is to like slow down so that they get every syllable and word. And you're just like, Oh my God, come, come on, let's, let's go. But <laughs> yeah, but two and three, that's, that is two Although maybe 1.5 is like the gateway drug and maybe like in a couple years you'll be back here and you'll be like, I'm at 3x now. Listen, I will say having used to work for Overdrive and the the app Libby, one of the things I'll give it some free promotion because I love everyone there and I will still use the app every day. One thing Libby lets you do is you can speed up by like 0.05%. So you can go from like 1 to 1.05 to 1.2 one to 1.15 and so I, that's how i sort of did i built myself up to like it's like to 1.5 over time because if you like, move it up by like five hundredths you don't really even know yeah then you just keep doing that but you're like it's like a marathon runner like training you know, you're slowly building tolerance yeah. Yeah, exactly um okay so I have, I have one last question for you i always leave the episode by having the author give a recommendation of any kind that you want. It could be a book. It could be a game. It could, I've had somebody say like, go for a walk or, uh, you know, it could be anything that you want to recommend that you think more people should know about a a TV show, a movie. Again, it could be a book if you want, but anything you want to recommend, the floor is yours. Okay. I have a fun one um, that I just rediscovered. It's a board game called code names. Have you played this code names? It's really fun. It's it's strategy, but it's like the, it only takes like twenty minutes to play, and you can play it with like four people. And the conceit is that you're all spies, and so you have to get people to guess the words, but you can only give a one word clue. Mm. So it's like kind of taboo, but like reverse. It's really fun, and why I love it as a writer and a storyteller is you're giving a one word clue, but your goal is to connect like two or three different words. So it gets you thinking about how with one word to connect like several different concepts. And it's just like super fun party game or just with a couple friends. But I just love, I think it really actually has you thinking in kind of a really creative way. I love that. That is so perfect. Um, Yeah, anyone, again, you'll have heard me talk about it in the intro, but if you haven't yet, go get your copy of You Should Have Told Me. It is so wonderful. It's literally, none of you will see this, but Leah will. It's literally right next to my desk. I'm literally holding it right now. It is so wonderful. Leah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Kelly. 
Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. <laughs>